0: Welcome to the Value Investors TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Bekko and my All right. partner. Ari. Welcome to part two of Foot Locker, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we are continuing our discussion on Foot Locker. That's uh, an interesting company. Uh, we talked about the competitive advantage, what their business is like in the previous episode. So please do check that out. Hari, right, before we move on to this part two, can you give us yeah, so a So This flavor? is
1: the Value Investor TV podcast. We are here to educate and entertain you about uh, topics uh, related to value investing. We are not financial advisors. We don't know your specific financial situation. So please consult with a financial advisor before making any um, investment decisions.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Hari. So as we do with every podcast that analyzes a company, um, we are going down a checklist. And um, if you guys don't have access to the checklist, do email us at info at valueinvestor dot org, or tweet us at valueinvestor tv. So Hari, let's uh, pick up where we left yeah, off so, in our checklist.
1: Um, you know, has the company been able to translate its moat into high returns on capital? So you know when when we talk about that, we're talking about return on equity, return on invested capital um you know do you see a high return uh based on what their equity base is
0: yeah, so that's this is something that's super interesting, and you know whenever we see a company a management that's super focused on operational efficiency ratios, be it ROIC, ROE, ROA, be it any of those things, we find it very, very, If we find it very pleasant because that's sort of the metrics that we look at as investors, right? How efficiently can they compound our money? So in that light, having said that, if you look at Footlocker and their management, their management, we'll talk about this later also, but their management is super focused on driving return on invested capital return on invested capital, so ROIC. And so if you look at that, um, ROIC in 2018 was 12%. In 2017, uh, ROIC was 11%. In 2016, it was 15%. So um, if I could just give you guys a quick rundown of what ROIC, how do you calculate ROIC? The top is EBIT, so earnings before interest, and tax and the bottom the, the denominator is average invested capital so what we're talking about here is capital that's really needed to run the business so uh you're talking about the total asset take from there take out cash cash equivalent because it's not being used for the business itself you take out all the merchandise um, inventories you tra- you take out uh, liabilities and then uh and then you have you have your um and then you have your um, average invested capital So those are the numbers, 12%, 11%, and 15% for 2018, 2017, 2016. So what do you think about that number, Hari? I mean, I don't have the number to compare that number to something, uh, some other company in front of me, but um, from your experience, well, what is Well, I mean, it, they've had a lot of like?
1: fluctuation over the last three years because of various expenses and things like that. Uh, 15% is, is kind of the bare minimum that I would want to see, but I'd really actually want to see that above 25%. So, you know, the, that number kind of, there's a couple things that are important about that, that profitability number one, that number is really important if the company has room for growth, right? They can put that money back into the equity base to grow the equity base to then sell more products. Um Footlocker is kind of at the peak of it, as we talked about in the last episode. They don't have a lot of avenues for growth um and that's why we'll when we talk about them they'll be paying a dividend and they'll be spending that money on share buybacks and stuff like that. So really, the yield that we will see as a as a business is going to be closer to the dividend plus share buyback yield. Um, and the the profitability here is not as important because they're not going to put the money back into the business, right? So, uh, you know, just to explain what I'm talking about, if a company doesn't spend any money, it reinvests a hundred percent of it back into its business. You will, over the long haul, get a return close to the that return on capital. But if you if they pay out all of their profits. Um, then your yield will be closer to the, you know, dividend yield, right? Or the share buyback plus dividend yield. So what we are seeing right now is a mature business. They don't have a lot of investment to make back into the business. So, so, you know, for right now, I think what that tells us is this is, we're going to have to focus on what is this company going to return to us, uh, and buybacks and shares dividends, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, Okay, so looking at the financials, um, you know, is there any concern about the cash that's available to the company? Are they going to run out of money uh, anytime soon, you know, due to, um, you know, cash uh, crunch or anything like that?
0: Yeah. Actually, before I move on to that, I want to give you guys a little bit more color on the ROIC. And so ROIC, we talked about. We talked about the definition of ROIC. Another metric that people use is return on asset. It's sort of the gap version of that. The um, return on asset is thirteen point nine percent in 2018, seven point three percent, and then in 2016 it was seventeen point four percent. So still, I mean, those numbers are, you know, are sort of average. But what we're looking for is above average superstars. And so from that light, um, it doesn't meet the bar, but to Hari's point, this might be a different play altogether. So we'll talk about that. So moving on to kind of um, the cash requirements or the debt level, um, let's look at their balance sheet. If we look at their balance sheet, uh, they have $891 million in cash or Cash equivalent. and then in terms of long-term debt, they have 124 million dollars. So, you can see right there. I mean, you can, they could pay out the debt immediately if they wanted to. In terms of cash crunch, I don't see that happening anytime soon. They also have um, credit facility, which is kind of like a credit card for big companies. They have credit facility with banks, uh, big banks, so they can they can uh, they have enough liquidity to move forward but if what's interesting about this company as we talked about this is a mature business so a lot of their cash requirement is being fulfilled by cash that's generated yeah. from operations so they don't need no so i mean yeah, i think, I think ahead, it, you know,
1: so just to let's move on here so that we can talk about the the interesting stuff which is with the valuation Was you know sure so they are generating a free cash flow you know is that um you know tell us a little bit about how much that free cash flow What that looks like and what the yield is there.
0: Yeah, so let's let me just find this quickly in my notes. So as I said, they have cash uh, on the balance on their on their balance sheet. They have eight hundred and ninety-one million dollars, and then in terms of free cash, so free cash. While I'm sort of f- trying to find this notes, can you define for, for our listeners yeah, what so free cash a, is? Net cash flow pardon. from operations
1: minus the capital expenditures. So in 2019, that number was around $600 million. Uh, And to give you an idea that the company is around $4.2 billion in market cap right now. So one way of looking at that is the, taking that number, dividing it by the, the market cap, you get a... Uh, you get what's called the free cash flow yield, which is how much dollar, what percentage of the market cap are you returning back, you know, as free cash flow, which is around 14%, which is pretty outstanding actually, because that number is usually below 10%. Uh, You know, 5% is kind of the norm or less. So 14%, you know, if you bought it, you would return, you would get a 14% free cash flow yield, which is, um, you know, well above average, so.
0: Yeah. So if I could kind of summarize what Hari said there. So when we talk about free cash flow, this is cash flow from operation. And you subtract out all the CapEx. So these are CapEx that, you know, these are like the store, uh, refer, refurbishing stores and in, in, putting money into uh, digital infrastructures and things like that. You take that money out and you get free cash flow. In 2018, that number was around 600 million dollars. So, to be exact, 594. And excuse me, 2017 about 539, and then 2016 578. And so, to Hari's point, you take that number, divide by the market cap, which is uh, s- stock price effectively, you get uh, you get the cash flow yield.
1: Okay, let's because uh, so. we're gonna use that. Uh, that free cash flow here in a minute when we talk about the, the buyback and the, uh, um, you know, the valuation. So let's just look at the management here um, before we move on to valuation. Um, you know, is the management uh, properly incentivized to protect shareholders' interests over their own? Um, you know, is there something that you see there that, you know, Do the are there insiders that own a lot of the company or are there anything that, you know, makes you feel confident in that management uh, here.
0: Yeah, I would say this, you know, I don't have, I don't have um, as much experience as you do, Hari, but from, re- from all the 10K readings that I've done in the past, this is one of the companies that I feel really comfortable trusting the CEO and what's written on in 10K. Uh, the, the, the honesty and the transparency that they give us in terms of numbers, is is quite good and when when you look at the ceo compensation the executive compensation it further it further solidifies my trust so if i look at their um compensation plan it's divided into cash and then is into cash and and stock options so stocks uh stocks their w- what they're driving towards is, is a couple things average annual adjusted net income so that's one thing that they have to pursue and the other is two-year average roic so those are two metrics that people uh, that executives are driving towards and then another metric here is um, is customer connected scorecard so this is how well do you know your customer um, it's if you put it into quantifiable metric it's The percentage of identified customers through in-store digital app touchpoints. So effectively, what they're trying to do is they're trying to incentivize executives to to get a better profile of who is shopping at their at at their malls and on their website. So those are sort of the metrics that uh, CEO and the executive team is driving towards. And I feel very confident. I feel very comfortable um, with these with these sort of. Metrics. So
1: I I, I want to uh, move along here because I want to spend enough time on the valuation because um you know we're uh sure. you know we've been talking a lot about um you know we spent a lot of time on the company and we spent a lot of time on the the financials so let's let's talk about how is how is the company handling you know they have uh we we see that they're a mature business they don't have a lot of place to put money back into that business so how are they, what are they doing with that extra mm-hmm. cash? Um, what have they announced an, announced in far so, as far as buybacks and so on
0: yeah, so with excess cash, you know you can do three things right you can buy back your shares, you can send it out as a dividend, or you can put money back into the business what they 're doing is they 're doing all three things, but you have to look at how much of each things they're they 're doing so in the previous uh, episode, we set their capex for uh, 2019 is around 200 million dollars, so that's the money that they're putting back into the business. If you look at the dividend, um, their per share annualized dividend is around 1.2 dollars. One, or sorry, 1.5 dollars, which is not, which is not bad. But what's really interesting here is the buyback program. Now we talked. I think this episode comes at the right time because we talked about the can- share cannibalism. We talked about um, you know, uh, what's that company called MPV. So we talked about those companies. Here is, we're, we're kind of seeing a similar thing play out here. So in, in February 2019, uh, the board of directors announced, um, $1.2 billion share repurchase program for the next three years. And this is, this is coming after, this is coming on the heels of another $1.2 billion, uh, share buyback program that the board authorized previously. So what that means is, again let let me put this into context the market cap where the market cap for the entire company is four point two billion dollars, and the board is announcing a buyback program of one point two billion billion dollars effectively what they want to do is they want to retire a third of their share right now at the current valuation, which is a sizable is a sizable return uh, from investors' standpoint you know they're they're pretty much I think the management is sort of realizing that the best the, the best place to put cash at this point when the company is returning a lot of generating a lot of cash and the top line isn't growing as growing as effectively as they as they hope um the best place to put it is through dividend programs or buyback programs. Yeah and and, that's and what we're seeing to
1: give you an idea of that in 2012 the company had uh 155 million shares outstanding let's see, uh, sorry, 2011. And as of 2019 in February, they had 115. So they retired over 40 million shares. And, you know, what that does is, um, you know, if they reduce their share count by 33%, as Becco is talking about, you know, that's actually a 50% bump in the uh, earnings per share, right? You know, just doing the math. So that gives them a fairly sizable tailwind with, you know, with a, when, when they don't have any earnings growth or revenue growth. So over the last 10 years, the revenue has only grown at about 4.5%, but the earnings per share has grown at 17%. So to give you an idea of, you know, that we saw that with NVR, the home builder, um, you know, they bought back their shares aggressively for the last 20 years, and it's reduced their share count by, um, you know, 70% or something like that. So Foot Locker continuing to do that could actually have a, have a big tailwind for them. Um so so we see that as a and they're doing this when the share price is cheap, right? Their free cash flow is uh yield is 14%. Um you know, the average is less than 5% or you know, 6%. Um so they're doing it at a time when the this, the this, the share price is cheap. So that, you know, it's a double t- tailwind for that um cuz they're getting a benefit of buying a dollar for 50 cents, you know. Uh, when they buy back their own shares. Yeah. Okay. Um so let's let's actually move on to um you know, Becco kind of addressed their open and honest because he looked at their ten K and felt very comfortable with that. So in the interest of time I'm just gonna move on to the uh the valuation itself and let's uh let's kind of talk about that. What mm-hmm. what do you um what are the assumptions that you were making when you're doing your cash flow analysis and what um you know what, what value do you come to here?
0: Yeah, so let's start with initial cash flow of about yep. $600 million, um, and I was assuming that it would grow at you know about 5% for the next 10 years, and this is under the assumption that the buyback programs will also kick in. And I think this is sort of on the conservative estimate, because as we have seen in the past, the share per share uh, EPS has grown, yep. you said 17%, which is which is quite a bit. So a conservative estimate of 5% uh, and a discount rate of 10. And then uh, we talked about why we use 10 in previous episodes. Uh, so if we use those estimates, we come to, and we also subtract out all the cash, existing cash on their balance sheet, and then and then also take into account the debt that they have, $124 million in debt. And we come to a share price of intrinsic value of 47 uh $47 around $47 and just for your reference as i mentioned in the previous episode footlocker currently is trading at uh $38 around $38 and the pe currently is around 8 8 is sort of the trailing uh, 12 so months so
1: lo- if we look at that so, and let's take the assumption that they are cl- growing, going to grow more like you know, seventeen and a half percent was their EPS growth rate for the last ten years. So if we let's we can even be more conservative and say it's twelve percent, right? That the earnings don't grow, but their share count decreases, and if they they were to put all of their yep. free cash flow, you know, into into reducing their share count, um, and let's call that twelve percent, what what would the um,
0: mm-hmm. you know what would the valuation be? Sure, let's let's give it a go. So if you do 12% for the next 10 years, that gives us $64. Okay. So,
1: you know, that's, we're getting close to around a 50% margin of safety at 12%. Um, and, you know, if we, if we look at that from the perspective of, you know, they're very cheap right now, they're going to buy back their shares, they could conceivably exhaust that $1.2 billion buyback fairly fast, right? At the, at at these share, yeah. at these exactly. prices you know they have almost 900 million dollars in cash that they could deploy uh fairly quickly without really affecting the business so you know they could reduce their share count significantly and you could see a you know sizable increase in the share price uh in the next year or two if they if they do indeed exhaust that so you know to me this is a the interesting thing that's coming out of this is um I don't see a lot of downside here for this company because of they're already fairly cheap. Their earnings have not you know, they're not growing, but they're not declining either. Um, you know, in a in a recession, you know, and, and you know, I, I think we've seen the extent of retail um you know, the Amazon effect and stuff like that. It's stabilized for them, right? They're not eating Footlockers' business, it's not growing. Um, they have some initiatives here, you know. So wh- where do you where do you see this, you know, it, you know, with given all of the things that we've talked about, what the moat that they have, the valuation that they have, you know, what what do you think is your kind of conclusion here, you know, for for this at this current price?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's very interesting business because on the on the outlook, you know, you don't think that this is an interesting business because the growth rate isn't so much, but this could be a really good value play because you have these sizable we're talking about a sizable uh buyback program. One point two mil one point two billion dollar for a company of a market cap of four point four point five. I Four point yeah, four point two. I mean this is a uh, I think this could be very interesting um yeah to and watch.
1: I I mean I think there's also potential that they could continue that, you know, if they just spent eighty percent of their buyback, you know, of their free cash flow every year on buybacks, um, you know, they could, you know, teledyne this and reduce their share count by ninety percent and see a huge uh spike in their um earnings per share, which would drive the share price up, right? So um you know go Yeah, what I want
0: yeah, I think buyback is def buyback is definitely a strategy going forward. What I would be concerned about at this point is you know we have sort of checked off that this is not a growth company we've checked off that this is you know this is more of a value play where you are really looking at share cannibalization. What I would be concerned with at this point is are our management going to drive towards that? are they seriously committed in in this share buyback program
1: yeah and we had looked at their incentives and it was based on return on invested capital and adjusted net income. So it wasn't actually based on earnings per share, right? So the share buyback wouldn't really benefit exactly. them. Now, um that doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't want to um to pursue this, right? This is share buybacks are d- typically driven by the board, not by management. Um and so a share buyback here could be a, a potential tailwind that um and then we see benefit from a uh, higher return on capital and a higher uh net income that's kind of a a bonus for us right we're we're assuming that there is no net income growth going forward uh we are seeing all of that growth through the reduction in the share count which is you know is is perfectly fine i mean if they are able to maintain the you know the last 3 years they've essentially been flat on their net income if we assume that that's the case but the the share share count decreases you know you can still see a significant um rise in your earnings per share so the the board w- would be happy and only the be- you know we would see a benefit if indeed they're able to execute this uh power uh program you know power store program going
0: forward right yeah yeah i mean i think to to answer your question i think this is a i think this is going to be a really interesting thing interesting case study to watch and how the management sort of handles uh, this company going forward. And also something to keep in mind, you said, you know, board of directors are sort of in charge of the buyback programs. What's, what could be interesting at play here is that the CEO is also the chairman. And so what does his incentive look like? His incentive structure aligns with exactly what I mentioned before. It's the, it's the customer connected scorecard. It's the uh, financial performance metric of the adjusted pre-tax uh, income and then the two-year average ROIC. And so if his incentive structure and he's the chairman of the board, like, will they pursue the buyback program as aggressively as we hope to? Yeah. Well, I mean, I
1: think 1.2, they've already, for the last seven years, they've, they've retired, you know, 25% of the share count, uh, and they have a buyback for another 30%. I I would be fairly comfortable there, you know, that they seem to want to do the right thing. Mm. Um, I hope that they don't get too crazy with the dividend and try to keep raising it just to just to raise the dividend uh, and I'd rather see them um, you know because the interesting thing about a dividend is it actually gets cheaper uh, to to maintain a dividend if you if you reduce the share count right you have to spend pay out less because you have fewer shares um, you know to pay so I what I hope for is that they just continue to buy back because at these prices it would be dumb not to just you know buy back as much as you can,
0: right? So, mm-hmm. one thing I guess, I mean, I think one couple of things that I want to I want to mention before we close off is that if you look at the if you look at the CEO's um, uh, earnout in twenty eighteen, the base salary cash was about a million dollars, and everything else was basically mm-hmm. stocks. So in total, he took home thirteen million dollars. And only one million of that was, was cash, or yeah, was cash, and everything else else was stock. So it is in his interest to right. make the share price well, go and that's, up. That's the best way to sure. do that
1: is with the buybacks, uh, given the, all the constraints that they have. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and then yeah, I, one one thing that I, want, I do want to mention is that this is something that comes up every everywhere, which is that executives pride, take pride in the fact that right. they can raise dividend every year so they they take pride. So this company, for example, is uh, it was the same thing. So they said, we are proud to to raise uh, dividend uh, two digit, um, two digit percentage um, bump in our dividend payouts. This uh, uh, this 10K, 2018 10K. So uh, that that is something that I would be watching out for as well. To your point, for them to not go. Right. And I don't see
1: that as a positive. I see that as a you know just buy back the shares you know when the when the when the if the share price yeah, is expensive then pay a dividend you know do a one time dividend but right now just pay back the shares or buy back the shares and then pay me out when you know things are better so okay yeah, well I, it, I mean it is very interesting company more of a value pure value play than a uh, a long term growth uh, investment uh, potential you know share cannibal i think is you know kind of how i would classify this right uh yeah. so uh, very interesting yeah. company thanks to the uh folks who emailed us uh asking for for us to talk about it this was a uh, well worth the uh podcast i hope you got something out of it um and if you want to um you know want to ask us to uh look at another company um you know send us an email info at valueinvestor.org uh, we are also preparing um, the Magic Formula and Share Cannibal uh, uh, screeners. Um, we should have those out fairly soon. So uh, if you are interested in being a beta tester to, you know, to look at those, uh, please send us an email. Uh, we are hoping to have that uh, available in, in September. Uh, we're just putting the finishing touches on that stuff. Um, and then we will release it to uh, to you guys for, for you to play with before we... we Release it to the public. So, uh, send us an email uh, info at valueinvestor.org or tweet us at valueinvestorTV, uh, and we would love to hear from you um, about the checklist or about talking about companies or any questions that you have or anything that you would want to uh, say. We will see you guys on the next uh, uh, next episode, um, and uh, thank you very much for uh, for tuning in. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs>